We're going to hit the ground running today on the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you Wednesday afternoon. John Michael Hofling from ABC10 will join me in about 15 minutes plus. We'll talk with a recently crowned NBA champion to close the show. You're not going to want to miss that. But we start with the news out of Ishpeming that broke this morning. Westwood has its next varsity boys basketball coach, and his name is Scott Sergula. He'll join us in a couple of minutes, but for now we're talking with Westwood AD John Beckman. John, ultimately, what was it that made Scott Sergula the right choice? Well, you know what? He's been integral in our program for uh, a number of years now already, and uh, his attention to detail and his passion for our student-athletes and his passion for the sport really shows through in conversations. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I felt that he was uh, uh, the best candidate for us moving forward. Does this have any effect on his varsity football head coaching status? It does not. It's going to be a difficult uh, time crunch for him. Um, we had that conversation as well as, as far as, this is not going to be easy going from head football coach to head basketball coach, but um, he assured me that he's up to the challenge, and um, if I know Scott the way I think I do, um, he is up for the challenge. What was it that gave you confidence that he's able to tackle that challenge? Well, to be honest, from a, from a personal level, um, the way that uh, my sons feel about Scott uh, gave me a great deal of confidence in the way he does things and, and the way he goes about things and the way he coaches our student-athletes. Um, I certainly can't be at every practice every day and um, be able to witness everything, but uh, the way that our student-athletes, and in particular my two sons, uh, feel about the way that he does things and um, the way that he takes care of our student-athletes gave me great confidence in, in Scott moving forward. Does he have a vision that he explained to you what he's hoping to turn the program into? Well, you know what? I think he wants to stand a little bit by what we've uh, what we've done with uh, Coach Hewitt and uh, stand on defense first. Um, but I'm 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 sure that he wants to open up the offense a little bit more and um, add some wrinkles that uh, that he has up his sleeves and and things like that to uh, put our athletes in the best possible position for success. John, there were a lot of hirings, a lot of openings among the UP this year. Was it any different hiring a coach as a member of the Westpac as compared to being exclusively a mid-pen team? No, not really. I mean, we're pretty we're pretty centrally located, meaning we're, we've played basically in the Westpac and the MPC for a number of years. We just made it official last year because we've played all of those teams and all those things um, throughout. But, um, you know, there was, there was a lot of applicants uh, for the job. And, you know, Scott, Scott rose to the top. And some by my knowledge of him and knowing how he goes about business and knowing how he does things and, and part by I know the, the attention to detail that Scott has um, and works himself into a – worked himself into a frenzy to make sure that the kids are in the best possible position. Has his experience with the weight program at Westwood, did that factor into your decision? You know what, not really, but he's a proponent of it. And uh, he gets those kids in the weight room. We've got, we've got more kids in the weight room now than we have in uh, many years. And, uh, you know, he's a, he's a big reason that that's the case. 
John Beckman is the AD at Westwood, speaking on the hiring of Scott Sergela as the next boys basketball coach. John, appreciate the time. We'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thank you, Tanner. With that, let's speak with the man of the hour, Scott Sergela, the newest head boys basketball coach at Westwood. Coach, congratulations on your new position. It's not going to be a lot of free time for you coming up, but I know you. that's the way you like it. Yeah, it's, um, you know, I've been a JV coach the last few years, and, um, you know, right now is probably this time of year is when I'm the busiest. You know, we're doing our football camp, and then we have our basketball camp, and uh, we're setting up team camps, and, um, you know, so I'm really busy right now. During the season, you know, I go from football into JV basketball, and I know that it's not the same, but, uh, you know, between varsity and JV, but I mean, I... You know, I still scouted at the JVs. I still try to prepare our kids as best as we could uh, at the JV level. And, you know, I'm going to do the same with the varsity. So in that aspect, it's not a lot more time, I guess. Um, but, you know, you're managing a program now instead of just, you know, the JV team. So from that aspect, it is a little bit more time, and that's usually right around this time of year. What made you want to take on two roles? Um. You know, I, I was already the JV coach, and uh, I, I enjoy coaching basketball. Uh, we've got a great group of kids. Um, you know, Westwood has a long-standing tradition of a uh, good basketball program, and, um, you know, I want to try to be a part of it, and I was happy to be a part of it under Coach Hewitt and, um, and uh, the last few years, and just want to try to keep it going. Have you had a chance to address the players since landing the job? Yeah, I talked to them, and uh, you know, I talked to them quite a bit there the last couple of days. And, uh, we, you know, we've been running our basketball camp and that. So, and they, you know, our varsity players have all played for me at the JV level, um, and so it, uh, you know, they kind of know how I operate, and um, it's very similar to football in the sense of, you know, my my how I approach athletics is the same, and uh, you know, we're gonna give it our best effort and we're going to try to prepare and um, we're going to try to be better people doing doing it. So, you know, that's kind of the, uh, our philosophy and, you know, with our athletic program, and uh, it's going to carry over into basketball. Have you given any thought as to who might be joining you on the bench or started putting a staff together? Yeah, well, you know, I got to look for a JV coach since, you know, I was a JV coach, so. Uh, you know, we're going to take a look at that. I got a few people in mind, and you know, I don't know if we're going to be end up posting them or not. I have to speak with our athletic director, but um, you know, Coach Gray, who has helped out Coach Hewitt the last few years, um, I spoke with him and asked him to uh, uh, help assist the varsity, um, and he's going to do that. Uh, you know, Chelsea Welton is still at uh, the freshman level. And, um, you know, so we're going to be looking for a junior varsity coach, um, you know, and we'll, we'll see, you know, where that takes us. But uh, really happy that Coach Gray is um, back and going to be helping us out. And, you know, Coach Messing, Mitch Messing helped us out last year, helped me out with the JVs. And um, he's getting a little bit further along into his, you know, uh, studies at Northern and that for pre-med. And so his time is going to be limited, but... Uh, you know, Mitch is a great guy, and uh, he'll, you know, he'll be there when we need him. And so I'm sure he'll still be, be around as well. What's the team philosophy of Scott Sergela's basketball squad going to be? Uh, you know, um, I'm a little bit different when it comes 
to basketball. And, uh, you know, we tried to, when I first started out coaching basketball 15, 20 years ago, that uh, all I knew was Westwood basketball and that was yellow. And uh, which is, there's nothing wrong with, that, you know, that offense and, you know, trying to slow it down a little bit and things like that. Um, and if you have the kids to do it and the kids that take care of the basketball and, uh, you know, either you got a, you got a big that you can dump it inside to, well, then great, run it. But, uh, um, you know, we got a somewhat of a smaller team this year, not a lot of height. You know, you, we got Ty Alderson coming back and, um, uh, so that's going to be okay there. But, you know, I want our kids to be able to play basketball without a basketball play. And um, that's easier said than done. It really is. Basketball takes a lot of skill. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of practice. And, um, uh, you know, the one thing I'm going to try to do is get our kids into the gym and get them. We've got to become better shooters. Uh, that's the first thing that we have to do. And, uh, uh, you know, putting all that aside... Uh, we're going to play defense, and um, I've been very big, and uh, the kids know that at the JV level on, on teaching these kids how to play good, hard-nosed, half-court defense. Um, not into, you know, you know, playing a lot of zone stuff and things like that. It's man-to-man, so that's going to kind of be our philosophy. It's kind of, you know, you take what you can get as well. You know, if you got a big one, try to get it inside to them. If you got some guards, try to get them guys the ball, so. It's uh, a little bit more malleable on the uh, basketball side than I am, I guess, the football side. You know, you've been a JV coach before and then risen to the varsity level in football. Does that help you with the transition as you try to do the same in basketball? Yeah, I think it has. I mean, you know, if I was going from, you know, I'm obviously probably more experienced on the football side, but I mean, um, you know, but going from the JV level to the varsity level on the football side and now doing it in basketball, uh, Doing it the first time in football for sure has helped me. Uh, helped me understand how a program has to be run and different things like that. So, um, but we're you know we're in our camp right now, our summer basketball camp. And, uh, we'll be going to a team camp you know next month in July. And <clears throat> it, uh, so I'm getting to see the kids, but I know them already, and they know me, and uh, it's um, you know they know how I operate and, you know, you can always teach them lectures and always different things like that, but, um, can you get, can you get them to play? And, uh, you know, Coach Hewitt has done a great job with that the last few years. He's always gotten his kids to play hard and, uh, I hope to do the same. And, uh, um, you know, and, uh, we'll see what happens. But, uh, we got some kids coming back and I, you know, I think we'll be competitive this year. Scott Sergela is the new head boys basketball coach at Westwood. Serge, always nice talking to you. I'm sure we're going to be talking a lot more here in the coming months. Hey, you got it. Let's take a time out. When we come back, John Michael Hofling from ABC10 will join me. We're going to talk a little basketball. We're going to introduce a Celtics fan who is optimistic rather than discouraged. Him, it's me. And that is next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along. John Michael Hopling from ABC10 is with us. What's up, Michael? Not much, man. Always good to be back. Glad to be back. Like the shirt? Thank you, man. Yeah, pink, floral. Wanted to look nice today. Well, it looks good. You did your job. Thank you. (laughs) Got to enjoy the weather. I thought it was going to be cold this week. It's 60, which is weird. Because, yeah. like, when I was living in California, 
Oh, that that's jacket and that's jacket and sweats weather. No. But here it's you know pink floral. It feels pretty good. You're becoming a youper. <laughs> well, I tell you what, lots been going on in the NBA, and the Lakers suddenly, a lot of people think, have a better, more optimistic future than the Boston Celtics. I don't agree. I wouldn't agree completely. Yeah. Like you said on Twitter, we, we were having a little back and forth. Mm-hmm. The Lakers, we both agree, are still one piece away. I think either John Wall or Kemba Walker, who Kemba Walker is supposed to be a big target for Rob Polinka this offseason. Mm-hmm. He said, that's looking pretty good. I don't think it's going to happen. What makes you think that? They don't have the money. Ah, yeah, they're the Lakers, They man. don't have the they money. They find it. No, they are not going to find it. The only team Kemba would take a cut for would be to stay with Charlotte. You think he likes Charlotte that much? Yeah. But if he does go to the Lakers, he is at risk of losing $100 million. Kawhi, it'd be another 5 to $9 million. I don't think either of them are going there. I think Kyrie might. I think Jimmy Butler's likely. I don't think Kyrie would go back to play with LeBron. You don't? No. Mm-hmm. Why, why would he leave LeBron's shadow just to return to it? Because he didn't like being the 1A. Yeah, but he's still, got a, he's still got something to prove. His tenure with Boston didn't exactly go the way he wanted. Not good tensions there with the way he's leaving. I don't so, think he wants to prove did, anything anymore. Did you hear the story about him and Brad Stevens, about how he went to a film session one day, and the first question he asked was, what does the word government mean to you? <laughs> Just a weird story, man. He's a weird guy. Thought yeah. the earth was flat for a long time. Mm-hmm. For me, weirdest guys in the NBA. One Kawhi, obviously. Dennis Rodman. Kyrie. Hmm. That's number three. Top three. There's got to be some real weirdos out well, there. That I, we're not I, 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 I want to put Ron Artest up there because, yeah, he because, be up because there. of the malice in the palace. That was like a big <laughs> thing. But, you know, I just, I just I leave him out because, I mean, when you got an Illuminati eye on your hand, that tends to be a case for a pretty Yeah. Weird. That's what Kyrie's got. Was it a few years ago Ron Artest changed his name legally to the Panda's Friend? I didn't know about He's that. He's a weird guy. I didn't know. I, I, obviously, everybody knows Metal World Peace. Mm-hmm. Never heard of the Panda's friend. I don't even know what his name is right now. Like, what he legally has his name at right now. I don't it think it's Ron Artest. He, he's just like, we're, even if you change your name to a symbol, you'll forever be known <laughs> as Prince or Ron Artest or whatever. I'm still optimistic about where the Celtics are. Kyrie is gone. We knew that was going to happen. Al Horford is leaving. They try to negotiate a three-year contract. Horford decides at age 33 that he wants four somewhere else. So he's gone. Yeah, they're two talented players, but you still got a really good young core, and now you got a lot of money freed up in salary cap space that you can go out and you can absolutely nail this free agency period with a key superstar. Kevin Durant? No. Why is that? Because he's going to be out next year. Yeah, he's going to be out next year, but I think that this is a prime opportunity for them to grab somebody like that. It could be, but then you don't know what you're going to get out of him. Yeah, but, I mean, we are now in an era of let's take these enormous risks mm-hmm. that will hopefully pay off on these huge, enormous superstars. And I think that this would be a very good move in terms of risk-reward type situation. Yeah, he's out for a year. You're not really expected to win the title next year anyway, but... You lock him up to a five-year Supermax, all of a sudden you have four years of arguably the best player on the planet. Here's the thing. Boston has been that team that their futures look so bright for a long time. I think Boston fans are tired of having a bright future that never is bright. And they're ready to win now. And I think they'd rather go after a guy they know is going to be good right now rather than waiting a year and hoping Kevin Durant's still going to be the player that he was. Do you think even with a superstar the Celtics would be... In contention for a title? Because I don't think that. As a Giants fan, somebody who watched three championships was really living to it, and everybody was like, yeah, we're in win-now mode, everything. So they keep trying to push that win-now mentality that we can still compete for a championship. 
trading for Kevin Pillar, Andrew McCutcheon, Evan Longoria, guys way past their prime. Yeah, they might be good, but you're not in the win-now situation. Despite you having all the pieces, you just haven't proven that you can win. So why would you ruin that? Why would you continue to keep pushing that when you know even with the best of the best, maybe, it's still very, very unlikely? Yeah, I just believe that you need one-star alpha, no matter what kind of supporting cast you have. That's why I want to see Boston use this money. I mean, they got to spend it on somebody. They've mm-hmm. got all this cap space that's been freed up with Kyrie and Horford gone. they got to use it on somebody. I mean, let's make a splash. Yeah, I agree they should spend it on somebody. And I think the Celtics are still a very strong team. They're not going to be able to build through the draft. Still a very late pick. But the fact that they have the pieces, Scary Terry's still there, Gordon Hayward... Aaron Baines is a pretty good rim protector when he gets the opportunity to play in front of Horford. The pieces are there. Just wait it out a little bit. Yeah, you'll be a good team, and you'll still be able to compete and maybe give some, good, maybe give some contenders a run for their money. Maybe, you know, make it to an Eastern Conference Finals. So why are you pushing it so hard to win right now? The future is still bright. Just got to give it one or two years. Well, whether they get this guy or not right now, I doubt they'd sign him only to a one-year deal. Who are you thinking that you should go after? I have no idea who the Celtics are going to go after. I would love it if they went after Kawhi Leonard, but I don't think it would happen. Yeah, he uh, doesn't seem like he wants to go to Boston. I keep hearing Julius Randle, which wouldn't be the guy I'd want if I'm He's, he's to not that alpha you're no. talking about. D'Angelo Russell's another name I keep hearing, and he's not an alpha, really. A little bit of a watered-down Kyrie, in a way. A little bit, but I think he'd be way less expensive than somebody you could grab somebody else to play alongside him. You know, getting a guy like Kemba Walker, I think, would do it for Boston. As inefficient as he is, he can still score the ball. So you still don't want to give Terry the light of day, huh? Oh, I love Terry. I do. But until he takes that next step forward, Boston really doesn't have a shot to contend. Yeah, but how do we know if he's going to take that next step forward if we never see him play? He's playing behind Kemba or Kyrie or D'Angelo Russell. I hope that if he's playing behind somebody, it's Kemba. And it's not D'Angelo Russell. I like Rozier. Maybe he's not the team's long-term plan. Because if I had my choice, I would pick Kemba over Terry Rozier. Yeah, I would too. But I think that point guard isn't their most dire need right now. Because they have somebody who's proven to be a successful leader in the playoffs like Terry. Where is their biggest need right now, would you say? Probably power forward. Think so? I'd say. Yeah, mm-hmm. power forward with the loss of Horford especially. No. You got good spots everywhere else. I mean, your your first three are, I mean, right now, Terry Rozier, Marcus Smart, and Gordon Hayward. Those are pretty mm-hmm. good. And then I think, like I said, Aaron Baines is a pretty good rim protector at center. So, You know, they've got all this cap space. And there's a lot of guys hitting the free agent market. I'm still optimistic for Boston. Yeah, I really should am. be. Tell you what, though, the Lakers, we've said that they're still one piece away. I think it would hurt them more to get a big-name superstar rather than spending that money, divvying it up between three bargains like three ball handlers, shooters, rather than getting one big superstar. Kyle Korver? Yes, Kyle Korver, J.J. Redick. You can get J.J. Redick for a bargain. Would, I, I, I think J.J. Redick would be the absolute perfect fit on the Lakers. He'd be play. an answer to prayers. Yeah, all he can do is play defense and shoot. Mm-hmm. And he's completely fine with playing second fiddle to everybody else right. on the team. And they've got scores on that team with LeBron and AD. They've got guys who can score. They haven't addressed their biggest need from last year, which was shooting or their lack of ability to shoot. Instead of going out for one Jimmy Butler and hoping that all three of them stay healthy, divvied up between three guys, get J.J. Redick, uh, Jamal Crawford. You can get him for like $5 million, and there's a lot to like about him. I heard somebody say on the radio that they should get Vince Carter, Dwayne Wade, 
and Dirk Nowitzki. Oh my gosh. How crazy would that be? Maybe like 10 years ago. Well, no, and, and Carmelo Anthony, the oh, guy was saying. Because they can all shoot, mm-hmm. and they're all going to play second fiddle, and you can get them for like veteran minimums. That's what they were all saying. I wonder if Dwayne Wade would like to come out of retirement and play <laughs> alongside LeBron again. I don't know, man. Everybody wants to play for the Lakers, though. Seems like it. I don't know. I'm not sure about that one. A lot of people do. A lot of people do. They have a little bit of cap space left. I don't think they can afford a big name. Just split that money up and get some shooters. Get some guys who can spread the floor and are okay with not taking star time away from Anthony Davis and LeBron. I think they just need a facilitator. Get somebody who can organize an offense and pass. Can't let Lance Stevenson lead your team in three-point shooting again. No, you cannot. If you're going to be a real NBA title contender, Lance Stevenson cannot lead you in three-point shooting. I didn't know that was the case. That's bad. <laughs> That's bad. I still don't think they're going to be a title contender, at least I, not the way they are right now. I think they're going to get knocked down in the first round by like the Jazz, as of right now. Jazz made a move today, getting yeah. Mike Conley. Good move. You think? Yeah. No? Okay. Point, point guard league. Mike Conley is a very good point guard. I was kind of hoping the Pistons would go after him. Yeah. Anybody should have gone after him. Anybody that didn't have one of those NBA all first, second, third team point guards could use a Mike Conley on their team. He saw the writing on the wall. He saw John Moran is getting taken second overall tomorrow night. Mm-hmm. He knew it was coming. It was time. Well, it has to happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, John Moran is just a special talent. I don't think R.J. Barrett is going to be as good as people are saying he's going to mm-hmm. be. I tell you what, talked about the Jazz yesterday, and I think there's a little bit of risk for them entering this offseason. So I'm glad to see them go out and get a guy like Mike Conley because they won 50 games last year. They're a good team, but they weren't able to take that next step because Donovan Mitchell wasn't able to take that next step. If he never continues to elevate his game or if he never sees another level in his game, then what do they do? Now they're relying on Mike Conley. Which yeah. I think is good. Take some of that pressure off Mitchell. Yeah, I think the Jazz, as of right now, are like a lesser version of the Nuggets. Hmm. They both rely on big men and a little bit of point guard, small guy play to sort of succeed. The only thing is that the Nuggets have the best player on those two teams, and Nikola Jokic, mm-hmm. right? The Jazz don't have any all-stars. They need somebody to be the face, somebody to lead that team. And yes, it's a small market franchise, so it's going to be tough to like bring people over, but if they can... It's going to be great. Oh, and they're well coached. Quinn Snyder does a yeah. really good job Quinn, with them. Quinn Snyder and Michael Malone are both great. Yeah, for, yeah. for Denver, yep. Yeah. You know, and I wonder, can Mike Conley be that guy that is you know, the face of your franchise? Can he be that guy that's going to be you know, your perennial all-star, at least perennial all-star candidate? I don't, I don't, think, I don't think so. Well, one, I think his best years were in Memphis. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And two, he wasn't even the face of the franchise when he was in Memphis. He had Paul Gasol and Zach Randolph taking, it, taking over that when he was there. Uh, even, even when he was the best of his best, he wasn't the face of that franchise. Who does Memphis even have left? Valanchunas is walking. Uh, Conley is gone. Don't they have oh, the, that one like pretty good? Jaron Jackson. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Jaron yeah, Jackson. Jaron Jackson. John Jaron that are going to walk into the draft room tomorrow night and you know wonder what? if everybody is. You know what? That's not bad. That's not bad. Them and the Dallas Mavericks. If they're bad next year, I can't think of any excuses. How many wins are the Grizzlies going to get next year? In the West, 35. I think 32. 32? Yeah, that that's what I'm going with. But I wouldn't be surprised if they both go above 500. Both teams. Really? You got, I mean, the Mavericks got Christos Porzingis and uh, Luka. Uh, but I tell you what, getting back to Utah, so if Conley isn't going to be that perennial all-star, are they done in free agency this offseason? Because I think if they are done right now, there's no way they're going to get back to 50 wins. I think they'll get back to 50 wins. Think so? Yeah, they're still a good team. Mm, yeah, Go- they... The, 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 spine, the backbone of their teams, Rudy Gobert and 
I still think, but uh, they're not going to contend for a title. It just seems to me that everybody in the West, those midsection teams in the West, are getting better. And if Utah's only move to get themselves better this offseason is adding Mike Connolly, I just feel like there are a lot of teams that are going to pass him. It's more moves than the Thunder are making. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there could be some change coming to Oklahoma City. Then again, there could not. And certainly there are going to be some big changes to Houston. Yeah. Well, you got your Tier 1 teams in the West. Mm -hmm. I mean, not the Warriors next year. I'll put them in Tier 2 because they're not going to have KD or Thompson next year. But you got Houston and Denver, right? Mm -hmm. Then you got your Tier 2 teams. Golden State, Utah, Portland, San Antonio. Okay. And I'd probably put the Lakers, the, the Clippers in there, too. And, okay. the, and the Lakers, because of what they've been able to do. You put Lakers in Tier 2? Yeah. Really? I, I think they're going to get knocked down the first <laughs> round by the Jazz. Uh, I, uh, How about if Kawhi goes to the Clippers? Do they get moved up to Tier 1? Yes. Okay. Easy. Mm. He brought the Raptors from a Tier 2 to a just, Tier 1. Check so. it. I mean, the Clippers already took two games from the Warriors. So right. I'm pretty, and with KD, mm. nonetheless. They... Well, let's not forget that the Clippers, against a healthy Warriors team, did better than the Rockets and Trailblazers did <laughs> against a banged-up Warriors team. Pat McBeverly! Yeah, something about him, The man. Beverly Beverly, Beverly and Lou Williams. Pat Bell. Something about them. Uh, but I tell you what, I see a lot of these Western Conference teams are getting better, and I feel like you know Utah's got to make another move if they want to stay above water. They want to stay above par uh, but then you talk about Houston, man. You wonder where Chris Paul could be next year because he seems like he's got a foot halfway out the door. Jimmy Butler has been linked to them. Can you imagine if they turn Chris Paul into Jimmy Butler? I, I don't think it would work out. Really? Jimmy Butler hasn't really worked out wherever he's gone. <laughs> he was supposed to be the savior in Chicago. He was supposed to be the savior in Minnesota. He was supposed to complete the process in Philadelphia. Now you're going to take him to a locker room where Chris Paul said it was pretty toxic with James Harden. He was tired to play a second fiddle. You're going to bring one of the most volatile guys in the NBA to that same locker room? I'm surprised he left Philadelphia. It seemed like it was actually a good fit for him. It seemed like it was, actually. Mm-hmm. I'm, su- I'm surprised at how well it did work, but mm-hmm. it's Jimmy. He cares more about the, the cash. Uh, we got to take a break, but I want to throw this out there. Speaking of Chris Paul, I was on Twitter today, and I saw a suggestion that was given to one of the Pistons beat writers. Trade Reggie Jackson and Andre Drummond to get Chris Paul. Reunite him with Blake Griffin. And the Pistons writers put a stop to that real quick. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do that. We're not trying to rebuild the 2000 We're not Clippers. getting rid of... <laughs> Do not trade Jackson and Drummond to get Chris Paul, (laughs) modern-day Chris Paul. (laughs) I tell you what, Tanner Hoops, John Michael Hoefling with you. Let's take another timeout. When we come back, the MLB All-Star voting closes this week, and we're going to have draft day a day early. But baseball, John Michael Hoefling and I are drafting the All-Star teams next in the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops, John Michael Hoefling with you. Glad to have you along. Here is your Sports Center update. The 2019-2020 NHL Awards Ceremony is tonight. Among the nominees for General Manager of the Year is Carolina's Don Waddell, a Northern Michigan hockey alum. How about that? Yeah. As much as I like Ron Francis, he stepped into Ron's old job and he has worked wonders for them. So he was incredible. We're hoping that a former Wildcat can win General Manager of the Year tonight. The Chicago White Sox are the first team in baseball to implement protective netting from foul pole to foul pole. Don't know why it's taken someone this long to do it. And finally, 
Nationals pitcher Max Scherzer broke his nose last night while attempting a bunt during batting practice. I think he was scheduled to pitch tonight, too. I don't know if that's he still said, He says he's still going to pitch. He's still going to pitch tonight. He said he would, which, you know, what, what can you take? Clay Thompson <laughs> said he was still going to play after he tore his ACL. So. <laughs> that is your Sports Center update. Tanner Hoops, John Michael Hoefling with you. Glad to have you along. Voting ends for the MLB All-Star Game this Friday, so make sure to get your votes in. Have you voted yet? I voted, yeah. Have you? Yeah. You got a few giants on there? Mm. No. <laughs> Other than Brandon Belt. Other than Brandon, okay. All right, I Brandon Belt is the only person who I think even remotely deserves a spot this year. <laughs> well, I tell you what, here's what John Michael Hofling and I are going to do. We are going to draft the MLB All-Star teams. Regardless of league, it's just going to be Team Hoops, Team Hofling, and we are going to have a draft, a starting nine, including, including pitcher and DH. Okay. Yep. Reliever two, closer? One closer? Yeah, we can do that. Okay. Let's take a we'll relief pitcher one closer two. In there. Yeah. So I tell you what, uh, I don't have a coin on me, but I've got the coin app. Here wow, you have, a, you have an app to flip a coin? I have an app to flip a coin. Isn't that great? That, that is so strange. <laughs> uh, I tell you what, I will let you call it to decide who gets the first overall pick. Do you All want right. heads or tails? Uh, tails never fails. All right. It is tails. Never fails. So the first overall pick goes to Team Hofling. Well, you know, pitching wins games. It does. It does, right? So I'm tempted to go pitcher. But I think i got to go with the hometown guy, the hero with the first overall. I've only been here five months. I need to make an impression to everybody out there. I'm taking Mr. Christian Yelich with my first overall pick. Put him in right field. That's a good one. That's a good one. I would have loved to have Yelich. I think I'm going to counter, and I'm going to go with Cody Bellinger. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. All right. But you have forgotten something. Okay. Who is the best player in baseball? Uh, they say it's Mike Trout. They say it's Mike Trout. It is Mike Trout. <laughs> so, you know what? I'm going to fill out two-thirds of my outfield okay. and take Mr. Fish and put him in center. I am, uh, that's Trout standing, by the way. <laughs> I am going to go with Verlander. Starting that's pitching. a good pick. Yeah. That's a good pick. I think it's only right that I counter with another pitcher. Well, okay, okay hold up. Who's the right guy to pick here? Lucas Giolito has been phenomenal. He has. This he really has. Uh, but I don't think he's worthy of a starting all-star spot. Jake Odorizzi leads AAL in ERA. That's, that's also true. Odorizzi <laughs> has been incredible. Um, but I think a guy who has only one loss since July 22nd of last year, Mr. Clayton Kershaw, would be a fine, that's a pretty good a fine one. pick. All right, so you got Trout, Yelich, and Kershaw with your top three picks. I tell you what. It's a good one. It's a good one. How about, uh, I'm going to go third base. Uh-oh. Even uh, maybe a few other spots you could play. Alex Bregman. Ho, 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 ho. Okay, okay, okay. Because I was going to go third base with my next pick. And, uh, and I know who it is. The person who I think is the best third baseman in baseball, Mr. Nolan Arenado. Yep. Yeah. Ooh, I'm on the clock. I'm on the clock. It's a tough one, Michael. Dun, need, dun. Hey, feel, feel it, man. Take that to, pressure in. I need to nail this. Um... You know what? Since time is winding down, what have you, I am going to go shortstop. I'm going to go Tim Anderson. That's out in left field, literally there. Is that a good start to the year? Oh, all right. Fair enough, man. You know, you're getting that flair with you. I think first base has been a relatively weak position this year, so yep. I'm going to stay away from that for a little bit. Okay. Second base, though. Second base, I might be getting something there. And it's really between, I think, Ozzy Albies and Jose Altuve. Mm. Maybe even, you, you could throw maybe Whit Merrifield in there, but he hasn't had the best year. Ah, Mr. Jose Altuve. Good. All right. 
Stucky, you're filling out your right side of the field pretty well. Yeah, you know. Well, you I, know. Yeah, you know. That's what I do. The right side's always the right side. You know what? Maybe this is a little out there, too, but I'm going to satisfy my center field need. Austin Meadows. That's a good pick. Yeah. I really like Austin Meadows. I've been big on him. Actually, okay, actually, I have another out, out there one, too. <laughs> Left field, a guy who's been so upset with how this voting has gone. You picked Meadows. I'm going to pick the other side, Mr. Tommy Pham. So your outfield consists of Tommy Pham, Mike Trout, Christian Yelich. You, you know I was never going to pick Bryce Harper, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure I want Bryce Harper either. Nobody wants Bryce Harper. I'm going to go first base here. Maybe a little early, but I like this guy. I'm going with Josh Bell. Yeah, Josh Bell's good. Not too shabby. No. I think I'll fill out my first base too and go with another Atlanta Brave on my right side of the infield, Mr. Freddie Freeman. There you go. Mm-hmm. Oh, let's see. I still need right field, second base, catcher, DH, and Ooh, yeah, relief DH. pitcher. Yeah. I haven't even thought about that one. Let's see. I kind of want to take a pitcher. I probably shouldn't. Oh, man, I know who I really want to take, but I don't think I'm going to. Oh, boy. It's a tough one. You think of catcher right now? I was thinking catcher. I could take Tommy LaStella at second base. But... You know what? I was thinking that, too. But <laughs> I'm you, not. you got to choose Jose Altuve. I right? am not. You, you already oh, took him. Yeah. You took Altuve. Uh, so I'm going to go with Ozzie Albies. Yeah. All right, well, all right. So I got shortstop, catcher, DH, and relief pitcher, right? Mm-hmm. So, there are two people I could take at shortstop. Okay. But, since there are two people, I'm okay with either of them. So, I'm going to let you pick the first one. So, I'm going to stick to a different position right now. And for designated hitter, I'm looking at designated hitters right now. Mm-hmm. J.D. Martinez. I like it. Yeah. I like it. Former I, Tiger. I think he's the only guy you can really take there without any you know, blowback. I think there's one other guy, maybe two other guys. Uh, I tell you what, I still need a right fielder, a catcher, a DH, and a reliever. Uh, who else do I like in the outfield? Think of Juan Soto at all? Not really. How it about, wouldn't be a bad pick. How about Reese the Bomb Hoskins? Probably not. How about, um, I might go with George Springer. That's good. Yeah. That's a good one. I forget he exists, but he's, he's very talented. <laughs> Silent assassin, George Springer. All right, so... I think it's only right that I have to choose who I think is the best catcher in the game before you get him, mm-hmm. and that's JT Realmuto. All right, and that might be—he hasn't had the best year compared to say Gary Sanchez or, or other guys like that. But I still think Realmuto is the premier catcher in the game today. Sticking to your guns, I like that. I could go with. Uh, now I really want to take Luke Voigt and make him my DH. Yeah, that'd be good. Instead, I'm going to go with a boomstick, Nelson Cruz. Woo! All right, I, I knew you were going to choose either Nelson Cruz or Shohei Itani, but since you're a Twins fan, I should have known Cruz. It's good for a home run, what, yeah. every four at-bats? <laughs> About. Yeah, something like that. It's pretty good. All right, since there are two shortstops, mm-hmm. and you already chose your shortstop, I'm going to pick my relief pitcher now. Okay. And I'm going to go Mr. Pittsburgh Pirate. No, I'm not. That, that's ridiculous. Why would I pick <laughs> Felipe Vasquez when Josh Hader's on the board? Don't you remember what he did a few years ago in the World Se- or the excuse me the All Star game? Didn't he blow it? Maybe, but I still think Felipe Vasquez is incredible. Okay, yeah, he, he's he's good, but you got you got to go with Josh Hader here, right? Well, you have to, have to, have to. How bad would you have been if you know? Because I forgot about him when I was taking my shorts out. If I took Javi and made him my DH. Ooh. <laughs> Oh, man. I wasn't even thinking Javi, to be honest, at short. Oh, really? Yeah. I'll, I'll okay. Go, you know, right. You've already chosen your shortstop, so I'll tell you who I was thinking. But okay. I'm, I'm, I was thinking either Gleber, good old Gleber Torres, okay. or Trevor Story. 
But yeah. hobby bias makes sense. So thank you for reminding me. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to go ahead, and I like catchers that can rake. So I'm going to go Yasmani Grandal. Oh, nobody took Gary Sanchez. Hmm. No one took Gary. He could have been a DH, maybe. He could have been. Oh. Yeah, except he doesn't hustle. <laughs> All right. Well, then, you know, my final pick. Good old Javi. Good old Javi. All right. With that, I have just a reliever left. I'm going to do what you did earlier. I'm going to satisfy the home crowd. I'm going with Shane Green. That's good. Shane Green to back in my bullpen. You know what? He might be the best catcher, the best closer in the American League right might now. Be. Might gonna be. He's going to be the Tigers' representative this year. Yep. And the Giants might have their lone representative be <laughs> with their closer, too, Will Smith. <laughs> no, not, not Independence Day, Will Smith. No. So I, t- I tell you what, here is Team Hofling. Outfield left to right, Pham, Trout, and Yelich. Arenado at third. Javi Baez, the shortstop. Altuve's at second, then Freddie Freeman at first. Kershaw is pitching to Real Mudo with Hader in the bullpen, and J.D. Martinez is the D.H. Pretty good lineup. You know, I, I, I do think I draft all right. Team Hoops. You have Bellinger in left. For a team. Pretty nice, isn't yeah. it? Austin Meadows, the center fielder, and then Springer is in right. Alex Bregman at third, Tim Anderson at short, Ozzie Albies at second, Josh Bell at first, Grandall is catching Verlander, Green is in the bullpen, and Nelson Cruz is the DH. I think I might have you on name recognition, but in terms of what has been done this year on the field, I think your team might have the edge. My team just slugs the ball. I mean, You're, we need to average about 13 runs a game with that lineup. Yeah, you could, honestly. If your, te- <laughs> your team's either Bellinger, gonna, Cruz, Bell, Grandall. Your team's either going to score zero or 75. <laughs> Oh, man. Tanner Hoops, John Michael Hofling with you. Glad to have you along, as always. We're going to set an MLB record for strikeouts as well. Mm-hmm. That's all I was saying. <laughs> I tell you what, we owe you another timeout. Uh, we'll say goodbye to you a little bit early today because I've got a special guest coming up, uh, Nate Bjorkren, assistant mm-hmm. coach of the Toronto Raptors. But what's going on at ABC 10? You know, not much is going on. We're about to lose one of our most valued members, Kaylee Kirby. Is, oh, no. Is heading out, so that's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. But... You know, she's leaving behind a good crew. We're going to take care of business. And, yeah, we're just going to get stuff. Personally, I don't have a lot of stuff going on. Heading to the – are you going to be at the Island Resort and Casino Symmetra Tour uh, this weekend? I'm thinking about it. Thinking I might about head it? down there. Yeah, I'm going, to head, I'm going to head over there. Still looking to – still fill up blue if you're out there. Come on. Let me <laughs> do something on you, man. I'd love to talk to you. But other than that, not much going on. Tanner Hoops, John Michael Hoefling with you. Let's take another time out. When we come back – I don't know if he's going to answer it, but I'm going to ask Bjorkren about Kawhi. What's he going to do? I don't know if he'll answer it, but wait to find out next in the Sports Pen on ESPN UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN UP and on the ESPN UP app. Have you missed any part of the show today? Catch up on demand. Get our free mobile app from the Apple iStore or Google Play. Just look up ESPN UP. Well, last week, the Toronto Raptors won their first ever NBA championship. We're pleased to be joined by assistant coach Nate Bjorkren. Coach, i got to tell you, I saw that championship parade on Monday. It looked unbelievable. A whole country came behind your team and supported you as you made your run to the championship. Can you put into words how it feels? You know, when I, when I look at it again, you know, I've seen the, I've seen the replay on TV, and, and, and it was really something, you know, all the aerial views. You know, but I was fortunate enough to, to ride with my family. We had a we had a truck, you know, towards the front of that parade and and man the people that came out to celebrate that victory and all the side streets were full and, and obviously the main route was full, people in the buildings and on bridges, 
uh, it was something I know that I'll never forget, and, and my kids sure were soaking it all up, so they had a good time. Nate, I think we were all amazed at the way Kawhi Leonard elevated his game this season, especially after injury. I really admire his court demeanor. He doesn't showboat. He doesn't let his emotions get the best of him or even show. He just quietly goes about his business at a high level. Did he set the tone for the younger guys with his work ethic? Yeah, he's like that every day. I mean, he is smooth. Uh, he is composed. He is very determined. I mean, he uh, and one thing about him with him and our team, uh, we just kept getting better, you know, as the year went on and as the playoffs went on. You know, we were in those playoffs since April 12th and, and two months of playoff basketball. And he, he did uh, uh, lead the way with, with determination and, and composure. And, and when things were bad or when things weren't going so well in a game, he would. He would huddle those guys up in timeouts and uh, starts of quarters and, and say, we're okay and, and let's make our run. And he is a, he is a leader. Coach, was one of those moments when you were getting set to start overtime in Game 3 of the Milwaukee series, did it feel like a must-win to you? And if so, what was the message to your team? Absolutely, absolutely a must-win. You know, we found ourselves in that situation a few times. You know, we were down to Orlando 0-1. We were down to Philly, you know, 2-1 going into Game 4 at their place. You know, so we've been in those moments before. But being, up, being down 2-0 to Milwaukee, you know, another very good team, you know, having to be at our place and, and winning double overtime. Yep, Kawhi and, and Kyle and the rest of them, they really were determined and resilient and, and relentless on, on getting that victory and, and moving forward. How about a guy like Fred Van Vliet? He really elevated his game in the finals. What are those blue-collar work ethics that comes from a small college basketball? Yeah, he, he did. He made some big shots. And, and you can talk about big plays, and they were... <laughs> There was big plays made, you know, every game and in every series and possession by possession. But, but he does. He shows a lot of heart, a lot of toughness. He's got a ton of grit, and he's another, you know, fun guy to be around. And, and it was one of those things where when, he, when him and Kyle were on the floor together sharing those point guard duties, you know, either one of them can bring it up the floor. Both of them are threats from the arc. But what they did best is, is get to the paint and touch that paint with some force and spread it out and hit the open man, and, and they were good. They were they were uh, uh, determined to lead us. What about the midseason acquisition of Mark Gasol? It's a big blow to lose a guy like Valanciunas, but having a veteran like Mark, how much did that mean for your playoff run? It meant a lot, and that's another reason why we continued to get better late in the season and in that two-month playoff run. Uh, Mark has been in a lot of big games in his life and, and, and seen a lot of basketball. But boy, did he move that thing. We, we used him as a trigger man a lot, you know, meaning he would, he would touch that ball at the elbow or touch that ball down there on the block, and, and he sure knew where the extra pass needed to be made. He'd be hitting cutters and, and swinging that thing, and, you know, if he was left the ball from the other, he'd knock it down as well. So just another great leader and a great team player to have around your coaching staff came into a situation following Dwayne Casey, who was fired despite winning NBA Coach of the Year. Did that put any pressure on you as a coaching staff? No, I think there's always pressure on a, on a coaching staff, you know, every single year. You know, there's such a such a demand to win, and, and that's the way we approach it every day. You know, and the, and the thing with this team is, is our team had so much experience, meaning like, you know, Danny and Kawhi both had uh, NBA championships under their belt. Kyle and Serge and Mark and 
had a ton of playoff experience and you know and, and some of the younger guys like Freddie and Pascal had a little playoff experience so as coaches we had to be ready we had to be ready every single day whether it was a practice or a shoot around and of course the games but our guys were had such an intelligent level if you ran a drill or if you told them a coverage you wanted to run you better you better be able to back it up and tell them why we're doing it so it was it was great as a coach and it was just constant you know preparation you know, for our coaching staff to keep this group ready. How did it come to be that Nick Nurse added you to his staff? Did you have a relationship with him prior to the hiring? Yeah, I did. So um, it's been oh, probably 10, 11 years ago um, when he was named the head coach of the Iowa Energy in the D-League. Um, I was his volunteer assistant. I wanted to be in pro basketball so bad, um, and I wanted to coach at the highest level. I knew the D-League was the route I had to take first. So I was an assistant at Iowa, and we were able to win a championship together. Um, and then I went on to be a head coach for four years in the D-League. But the biggest part of this is a couple of years after we won the title, he was then the head coach at RGV, and I was the head coach at Santa Cruz. And we met um, in the D-League. We played against each other in the D-League finals. And after that game, you know, they, they beat us, but after that game, he, he shook my hand at midcourt and said, uh, there's no reason why we couldn't do this at the next level. You know, he was right about that. So I've, I've had a relationship with him before, and when he got named the head coach of the Raptors, uh, I was honored uh, to become his assistant again. Talk with Nate B. Yorkren, assistant coach for the NBA champion Toronto Raptors. Coach, while I've got you, i got to ask, what's Nick Nurse like away from the court? You know, he's a corn-fed Iowan like you and me, but give us something about Nick that no one would know unless they hung out with him every day. Yeah, he, he's, he's very creative, very determined. He has, you know, a couple, uh, a couple. I mean, he's a, he, he practices the piano, he plays the guitar, so he's, when he gets his mind set on something, uh, he really attacks it. So I think he's next, uh, next door in the office next to me uh, practicing that guitar a little bit as we speak. Tell me about Drake. He was your team's international ambassador. Sometimes drew criticism. Others said they didn't mind his passion for the team. Tell me about his role when it came to the Raptors. Great role. Uh, I love shaking his hand before the game. Um, he is one of us. He's in the locker room with us after the games. and He has a lot of respect for the game of basketball. Um, he has a lot of knowledge on the game of basketball, so he knows he knows a big play when he sees it. And, uh, you know, our guys obviously have a ton of respect for him, and it was great having him around with someone of a, a championship mentality like he has and a work ethic like he has. It's great to have him around our coaches and players. i got to ask this because we talked about it on the show last week. Kawhi is such a quiet, reserved person. Is he the same off the court, away from basketball, as he is on it? You know, I don't, I don't describe him as, as quiet and reserved. I mean, maybe it's because, you know, we're, we're, we had so much, so many moments together as a team here during this, during this, uh, championship run. But he, you know, what he does is he speaks when he needs to. He doesn't overspeak. If he has a comment to make during the game, he makes it. And, and everybody is, is, is quick to listen. You know, he's got a great uh, sense of humor. Uh, he's fun to be around, and when you engage in conversations with him, um, you would you would enjoy talking to him. That game winner he had in Game 7 against Philadelphia, what was the locker room like after that? You know, it was guys were excited, but, but right away, you know, it was Kyle and it was Kawhi. 
why and, and we're saying, hey, man, we're only halfway there. You know, that was round two of the playoffs. We had to, to get through Milwaukee and Golden State yet. So so we did. They, they enjoyed the moment for a second. You know, it was a huge shot. Great for him. Great for our team. Uh, but we uh, we were quick to to get ready for the next series, and and sure enough, first thing that next morning, all the guys were in, and we were ready to to get to practice and get to get to watching film on Milwaukee. Out of all the great players you saw during this playoff run, which did you and as a coaching staff spend the most time preparing for? Well, um, you know, every team every team had so many weapons. Um, you know, the most time that we had to prepare for a team was, was Golden State because once we got to playing, it seemed like there was two days in between every game, you know, which was great. Good, good film sessions and good practice sessions. And so so it, it, would, it would be Golden State just because of the amount of time um, that we had during that, uh, you know, final round of the playoffs. But, but all the teams and, and, and all the coaches that we played against, they, they presented, you know, enormous challenges. And, and we did. We, we had to work hard to, uh, to win it. Well, Coach, it's hard to think that your team started this playoff run with a loss. You mentioned it earlier against Orlando. What was the mood after that game? Were you pretty confident you could bounce back? Yeah, we were confident, but that was a, that was a big one. Meaning, like, we went down 0-1. The playoffs just started. I think it was a huge... It was a huge wake-up call to our team. I mean, Orlando, you, you could make an argument, they were the best team coming into the playoffs. I think they were like 20-5 and five in their last 25 regular season games. You know, they went from being out of the playoffs to, to fighting all the way to that, that seven seed, and, and they were on a nice run, so they came in and beat us. But it, but it did. It, it, uh, it woke our guys up. Um, there was a... a, a different level of determination that they came in with the next day and then and then obviously uh, like you mentioned we won the next four and, and moved on to the next round coach answer as much as you feel comfortable has Kawhi given the raptors any indication what he plans to do for the coming season you know I, that's i don't know any part of that that's for the front office and, and coach nurse to handle but what i will tell you is this we get asked that question a lot like as coaches and players and, and things and 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 honestly, we never thought about it. Like everyone saying, oh, what's, what's Kawhi going to do next year? What's Mark going to do next year? What's Danny going to do next year? It, it didn't matter. You know, it was this year only. Everybody came in with one thing on their mind this year, and that was to win a championship. You know, from, from the beginning of training camp, we knew we were in that window of a group of teams that can honestly say they have a chance to win it all. And the only thing we focused on was this year – and whatever happens next year happens. You know, I'm sure our team will be different in some ways. And whether Kawhi, Mark, Danny, any of those, any of those guys go or stay, uh, we're going to be a tough team to beat. Nate Bjorkren, assistant coach for the NBA champion Toronto Raptors, joins us on the Sports Pen. Coach, really appreciate you taking the time and talking. All the best this season, and good luck in the draft tomorrow night. Thank you, and great talking with you. Signing off from the ESPN-UP, WZAM Studios, my name's Tanner Hoops. Here's Will Kane.